Hello, hope you're well. On this episode, I'm talking to Ben Branson, the founder of Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. You might be surprised to know that we don't just talk about death on the Doing Death podcast, but essentially how we live until then, what we can do to make our lives better and how using our time more joyfully is really important now more than ever. This episode was recorded during lockdown and some of the themes we talk about weave in and out around what Ben has discovered during this time. That's probably been one of the biggest things about all of this is, you know, change and the unknown. I think for everybody are are kind of things that need to be embraced and you've got to suddenly become best friends you know with the unknown and with change because that's that's what's happening we also talked about the beginnings of Seedlip and how ben rediscovered his roots and managed to morph his geeky hobby into his career we delve into the power of nature and why this is a good time for reflection and possibly laying down the foundation for something new career-wise and just that small thing of how Ben would want to be remembered after his death. So um, how are you coping? Yeah, all right. Um, Pretty full on, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty full on. Although, you know, blessed to have a garden and be out in the countryside. It is, thank... I mean, I, I kind of... We've got children, and so that's the own Really the only challenge right yeah entertaining the kids that's that's the biggest challenge in all of this so we've got uh river who's our she's eight months today and then albie who's seven and a half and so yeah big big kind of obviously age difference but albie's obsessed with harry potter so you know we've got the big hogwarts to build which is yeah is heaven she just loves building stuff so whether that's a den or a bicycle stand or a chair or lego good occupied time keeping, yeah. her, keeping her entertained oh so just what you need is a is a conversation about death yeah no bring <laughs> it on <laughs> um so i want to talk about seed lip and i want to talk about how you've grown this company and really some thoughts behind it and how it all came about but I also I'm really interested in about your thoughts about death and your experience about death so that was my first question you know what are your own experiences of of death and what are your thoughts about death in general I sort of on the one hand I I can't quite believe how and and it's definitely it's highlighted by what's going on at the moment I don't think anyone has ever paid any attention to the phrase daily deaths, you know, so much as, as what's going on now. And, and sort of, I think it, it's in, incredible that death isn't talked about and we have this such weird relationship with it when, you know, as they say, and as I'm sure you've heard many times, you know, death and taxes, that's, that's what we've all got to look forward to mm. that we that we know is going to happen. My own, I mean, I've been very lucky in the sense that aside of having, you know, a pet rabbit and uh, a guinea pig and some goldfish and some dogs die at an early age, you know, and, and having that experience as a child of a little bit of the fantasy of fish heaven and dog heaven and, um, you know, rabbit heaven and, and obviously being upset about that. 
and then I've had a, you know, I've been lucky that a few family members have died, but of old age and yeah. I guess at the right time, I've, I'm lucky that I've never had anything really sudden, tragic, really close friend that I've lost where I've really had to grieve. And obviously there are a lot, loads of different ways and things that we can grieve about, not just death, but mm. so I've, I've not had a lot of exposure to death per se I don't know personally I'm not afraid of it and I've I've had plenty of you know I was pretty kamikaze as a kid throwing myself off stuff and mum always says you know that I was in and out of A&E a lot and literally it was <laughs> like I had a death wish you know as a kid <laughs> I'm not I'm not afraid of it uh I don't find it awkward to talk about mm. death in in the same way that i I don't find it awkward to talk about money either, you know, or religion or sort of, I, I don't think nothing's really off the table. And and death's, you know, one of those weird ones that we don't talk about enough. Thankfully, it is, it is definitely in people's minds now. And we are definitely connected to, more connected than ever to, you know, people that are dying, right? It's like it's happening all over the world. It's so weird because it's happened so quickly as well. Like normal life, what well, is normal life now? But at the beginning of March, we were thinking, okay, it's not so bad. There's not so many deaths. And then every day it's gone up and up and up and up. And I keep thinking each one of those numbers is a person. Yeah. It's not, people keep saying, oh, you know, 800 people have died today. And I keep thinking, yeah, but those those are 800 people. And it, it's so weird on the news, it's just become a statistic. Yeah. And I find that quite disturbing as well. I've noticed that maybe only in the last 10 days, they've tried to bring out some people's stories. And, uh, you know, the New York governor has, has kind of come out and said, you know, behind every number, you know, each number is a, is a face and a, and a person. Mm. But it doesn't this pandemic doesn't feel very human in in some ways it it feels very statistical and modeled and graphs and quite mechanical and i know that's what it has to be from an infrastructure perspective but yeah in 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 other ways it can feel quite surreal and quite quite far away from you you know yeah yeah like we're in some kind of movie right this sort of black mirror <laughs> so... episode right <laughs> it is in fact you reminded me i could watch that because i haven't watched any i've only watched a couple of black mirror so i can get stuck into those yeah great <laughs> you're gonna kind of just go to another new level of real worldness <laughs> this will give something for charlie's bricker to write about right yes. <laughs> <laughs> if he's not already this is it this is the new episode <laughs> ben and amanda we're in it <laughs> yeah more from Ben in a minute. As Series 2 started playing out during this unprecedented time, I'm highlighting a charity or organisation that is helping the public in some way to inform, advise and help with matters around death and dying. On this episode, I wanted to mention the Natural Death Centre, which is a charity which offers help, support, advice or guidance about planning a funeral or helping to dispel myths by sharing their knowledge and to make sure we can have the best experience with arranging a funeral and keeping costs down. Through the Natural Death Centre, we can also find out about greener, more environmental alternatives that we might not be aware of. Please visit their website, naturaldeath.org.uk, 
where you can find information or you can donate to help their cause. Now back to Ben. I know it's 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 really strange and I, I I've really struggled with it the last couple of weeks. I've literally gone from being feeling really exhausted and I think that's an anxiety I think that must be an underlying anxiety thing as well right yeah yeah but it's it's I was thinking last night because I saw that you know Pret are going to open a few of their cafes and, really? and I was just thinking that not that I thought it before I was like god you know I haven't I haven't been to a coffee shop for over three weeks and I I like working in coffee shops you know and mm-hmm. I, I kind of I like well-made coffee you know from a coffee shop and then I was and so I was thinking god I haven't had a you know I haven't had a proper I drink instant coffee at home I don't have a fancy machine so I I kind of was just like god I haven't even had a proper coffee and that's such a key part of people's routines and was a key part of my routine and suddenly you throw everybody's routines have been completely thrown out the window whether good or bad commuting etc you know our whole daily lives have to have to then change and I find doing something new really tiring. It is difficult to believe sometimes that it's only been, you know, three weeks because it's it's felt like a lot longer. Um, and three weeks in the previous normal world, you know, goes in an instant. So it's actually, it's felt very, it's felt long. I mean, it, there's, you know, there are loads of, there are loads of amazing things that are coming out of our just, the fact that we eat three meals a day together around the kitchen table, that's a really simple thing. But to do that mm. every day for three weeks is is pretty incredible and has been an amazing opportunity to teach our seven-year-old some, some more manners and start clearing away the table and learn some good independent things like that. You know, we, we've got a garden here, so getting the kids outside and... I'm not really a stickler for rules. So my approach to homeschool is far more learning through doing, through being outside and teaching Albie how to hammer a nail in or press flowers or make a den than trying to get her to kind of sit inside on a warm day Mm. and crunch some maths. You know, as much as maths is important, obviously. Um, So we've learned that homeschool wise you know get something done school wise in the morning and then just whatever she's doing make sure that she's learning i i guess we've we definitely we're far more conscious about what we buy what we eat when we shop how we shop we're creating a vegetable patch at the moment and we've got chickens coming in a month or so and so it's definitely made us far more appreciative of our home and homegrown things and using that as an opportunity to teach the kids um mm. just the i guess the more simple basic things in life so in in many ways life has become much more simple so and and then work wise you know we're lucky that we're pretty set up from a you know a zoom and a slack and all these brilliant pieces of software now that mean we can communicate digitally and through video calls um, mm. as a global business. And actually the team have, you know, have responded incredibly well, I think. You know, they're a young team and so, and they're quite used to change. Um, and that's probably been one of the biggest things about all of this is, you know, change and the unknown. 
uh, I think for everybody are, are kind of things that need to be embraced and you've got to suddenly become best friends, you know, with the unknown and with change because that's, that's what's happening. Yeah, and I think that's the whole part of what you were saying earlier about, you know, you don't have to know anyone that's died to grieve because we're all grieving uh, the loss of what we felt normality was. So we're yeah. trying to create this new norm of a sort of different life as we know it. And in terms of your the people that you work with, how have you had to, how has the business changed? Obviously, because your business is people going out and, and enjoying, you know, the non-alcoholic drinks. So yep. obviously they're not doing that. So No, they're, that? Um, I mean, A, everybody's obviously working from home. B, all the bars, restaurants, hotels um, have all closed. The Guardian, I, I saw a headline this morning was saying that, you know, one in three people now in the UK during this this time, you know, are definitely cutting back massively on their on their alcohol consumption. I, I hope, therefore, we have some sort of little role to play within all of this that, you know, that there needs to be some way of drawing a line at the end of the evening or the end of the day yeah. that just says, right, the day's done. We're now into the evening. And, and usually, you know, food and drink are a really important symbol uh, within that. And so hopefully, mm. you know, there's plenty of people out there who are who are making a sea lip and tonic to kind of mark mark the end of their day. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sort of that simple routine is like you say, it's just going, okay, I can just relax. You know, I've done my exercise. I've done yep. the children. I've done, I've done a bit of gardening. I could just sit down have a drink, watch, watch a bit of Netflix, <laughs> you know, not contagion, oh. <laughs> which is like the number one film on I Netflix. I know, I know. What the hell? We, like, it is like car crash stuff, isn't it? <laughs> can't, we cannot help sick. ourselves. <laughs> Who's watching it? I, I honestly, I thought, oh, actually, maybe I feel like watching Contagion, <laughs> but I haven't resisted it so far. Yeah, we haven't watched that. <laughs> Probably put the fear of God into us, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Obviously, not millions of people around the world. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, so, I wanted to talk to you a bit about Seedlip mm -hmm. and what led you to creating Seedlip and. What changed for you? What was the turning point for you for creating Seedlip? So I, you know, I left school at eighteen, and and I didn't go to university. I didn't really, didn't really want a degree, and and I definitely didn't want to be anything that needed a degree. You know, I didn't want to be a doctor or a vet or an architect. So I, I didn't go to to uni, and you know, I went I went travelling instead, and got got some incredible life experience, I guess, from that, and worked along the way. And then came back and, and started in the design world, which is, you know, I, my mum's in farming and my dad's in design. Um, and I, I didn't want to go and sit on a tractor. Um, at that time, I, d I really didn't think farming was was cool or exciting or interesting. Um, my mates weren't doing it. You know, everybody was sort of moving to London and, and trying to get stuck into, uh, you know, renting flats and getting jobs and uh, seeing what London had to offer. Uh, so I, I started in the design world, got a really good exposure to, you know, brands and, and food and drink and supermarkets and how people think and buy and why they shop. And I guess how we mainly for, from, from a food and drink perspective, you know, how that's so woven into the fabric of our lives. 
and the choices that we make. And that that definitely, you know, I, I worked with some big brands, but I also worked with some startups and some, you know, directly with the founders and people who were grabbing hold of, you know, their own sort of destiny and, and going, I'm going to give this a go. And that, you know, I, I felt really drawn to that. And I, and I kind of, my first step towards, towards having something of my own was I had my own design agency and I, I set it up when I was what, 20, uh, no, late twenties. So I'd had some, I'd had a few years in the design world, set up this design agency and started doing, you know, a lot of work with founders and a lot of work with sort of smaller brands with this niggle still within me around, maybe I want my own brand, you know, maybe I, mm. I had lots of, you know, lots of ideas, but nothing that I really saw through or that stuck. Um, I kind of felt like it would be in food and drink as that's, you know, I love food and drink and, and that's what I'd had most experience of. Where do you think that entrepreneurial skill came from? Do you think it was just innate in you or? You know, both sides of my family have worked for themselves for a long time. Um, you know, farmers, people forget, you know, are business owners and uh, mm. in some ways entrepreneurs. And so, you know, along my mother's side, that's, you know, 300 years of, of people working for themselves. My dad has yeah. run his own business for 27 years. My brother works for himself. My other brother works for himself. My cousins, most of them work for themselves. There is this vein within our family of not necessarily entrepreneurship, but definitely working for yourself. You know, mm. definitely whether that means you're a freelancer or you're self-employed or whatever, but um, working for yourself. And, and yeah, I guess I, I took that mantle on as well. Um, of wanting to work for myself and wanting to be in charge and in control, I guess, in some in some shape. And so I, I, I guess I, I wasn't, you know, wind back to 2013 and um, I'd begun to rekindle my love of the land and of nature and had definitely kind of realised how important, you know, farming, legacy, uh, family business, those things... I guess as I'd, I'd grown up, had suddenly sort of come back around and gone, no, these are really important things and these are really important values to keep. And uh, I'd want my kids to, you know, kind of be proud of the legacy that's left for them. And so I, you know, I started growing stuff at home and, and growing herbs and veg and, you know, I had dogs and so, and I lived in the countryside, so I, I'd just be out in nature much more and more interested in what was going on in nature and just found that I, I, you know, there was a lot of solace in that. There was a lot of calm. There was a hell of a lot of inspiration, you know, just inordinate amount of information to absorb. And I'm, I'm pretty curious. So I started looking into more herbs I could grow and maybe mm. what we'd forgotten or lost or rarer varieties that may be out there and you know the internet's a dangerous place uh sometimes and you know i got caught in the rabbit warren of wikipedia links and looking at old books and old manuscripts and mm. trying to kind of pick my way through 500 years of i guess botanical history and was that of an idea for a business or just because you were just being nosy and curious oh, just and just being nosy geeky just sort of, yeah <laughs> just kind of going right i'm gonna you know, I can grow dill and I can grow thyme and rosemary and basil and, you know, these things. But what else was being grown? And, oh, my God, you know, 
incredible old seaweeds like bladder rack that you know are mentioned in these old books that still grow today yeah it was a real journey just into uncovering this world that i'd not really learned about or grown up with i grew up you know with potatoes and corn and carrots not herbs not spices mm. not kind of culinary edible things that i've got loads of flavor that come from all over the world that have got wonderful stories behind them um so I, I just got stuck into it and I and I came across this this book that somebody'd scanned in online called The Art of Distillation. And thank God they had scanned it in. It was written in 1651 and, and effectively had it was a recipe book for alcoholic remedies and non-alcoholic remedies, all using herbs and spices and all using distillation as the method of production. So I was just like, okay, I'm gonna give this a go. Um just because I want to and I like arts and crafts and I'm quite busy with my design agency, but I, you know, evenings and weekends, I just got stuck in and had a go and loved it. And I'm definitely someone that when I, when I get stuck in something, I, I want to, you know, I want to sort of get to the bottom of the barrel. I want to really know everything about it, understand it all and really be really, really thorough in what I learned mm. and so I kept doing this and and it just it was wonderful to have no outcome in mind this wasn't about a company it wasn't about a business it wasn't about a product it's just about understanding these ingredients and this process and and how you can magically turn a plant uh into a liquid that smells and tastes like that plant it was just magic and then I got served the most disgusting mocktail um when i was in london not drinking probably about six months later and it wasn't like a lightning bulb moment but it was definitely a oh my god how disgusting is this it's pink and it's fruity and it doesn't go with the food and i feel like a bit of an idiot and why are the options so bad and then it was a process of the dots i guess joining and me thinking my god maybe Maybe somebody else is also really pissed off if this is what you get given if you're not drinking. Um, mm. Maybe there's something in this distillation stuff I'm doing at home and using these incredible ingredients that taste adult and sophisticated and challenge the palate. And maybe we can make more delicious options. Um, maybe I could work with my dad who's in the design world and I could use my design experience. And maybe I could work with mum and the farm and... And, you know, I painted this pretty picture in my mind of how it all could be and thought I'd just maybe put something out at a farmer's market, you know, keep my design agency going. Um, and that sort of turned into a two year project and my life savings into it and getting fully kind of stuck into creating Seedlip and, and launching it November the 4th, 2015. When you sort of look back on your journey, do you think it's a bit like a puzzle? All these things came together to create this seedlip, family's farming history, mm. your 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 dad's design. It's the perfect it's the perfect recipe, isn't it? For and your your family mentality about working for themselves and working hard because farmers work really hard, yeah. and you see that you know even though you weren't interested in it mm. at that, you know as a child it's ingrained in you isn't it it is you see it and and you learn my learning of what work was 
growing up was, you know, you work hard and you see results. You know, I've got to be passionate about what I'm doing. And if I can put everything that I'm passionate about into this bottle, then hopefully I won't be disappointed because at least it's everything that I love and cherish and hold dear. I don't know if that's the same for lots of other people that have set up food and drink businesses, but I would, I'd hazard a guess that it is because you are pouring lots of what you believe in and how you see the world and what you value and what you like effectively into something in the hope that somebody else and enough other people are going to like it. That's the, the very simple maths to it. And with, with Seedlip, it was, it was, it was, it was a great opportunity to show myself that, you know, to, that if I could literally, no pun intended, distill down what I loved and what I, I thought was important in the world with a view that it might solve a problem in people's lives or, or meet a need in their lives, then it should be a win-win, you know? And so it seems to me that what you're saying is, is that if someone else wants to pursue something that they really believe in, it's about, I guess, being passionate about what, what interests them, what gives them joy, what makes them feel happy, and pursuing that. Because for me, it's, it's really important that people have a really good life and within that life they do things that they really enjoy and part of my thing about getting people to talk about death is to really get them to appreciate that life that they're living and what they're doing with that life and that's work that's their relationships mm -hmm. love all those things and so it seems to me that what you've done with Seedlip is exactly that you've put all of the things that you enjoy you've taken all of your your history your personal history and it's all gone into this sort of distill of magic, you know, for Steve. It's really beautiful. It's, it's amazing, just, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, thank you. It's, I, I think for anybody, you know, anybody out there or anyone that is wanting to set up a business, and ironically now seems like the worst time to set up a business, but it's actually the best time to start a business and in thinking. terms of it, you know, start thinking, start planning, start working on it. You know, nine out, and I'm talking mainly food and drink here, but nine out of 10 food and drink businesses fail within or just after the first year, the odds are so incredibly stacked against us and so few succeed that A, you've got to be incredibly committed and get ready for the, the rough and tumble of, of the work that's required. B, you've got to be slightly unhinged because the odds are, <laughs> the odds are so... You stacked against us you know if, if you don't love if you don't love it and if it's not personal to you um then i'd really question why you're doing it and and d it's got to meet a need or solve a problem in people's lives we want to meet a, a need in people's lives and we think that you know if they're not drinking alcohol for whatever reason they should have a delicious grown-up option that treats them like an adult and not like a child whether it be having a party at home and entertaining at home or whether it be going to a bar or a restaurant um, or a party or a venue, um, they are all experiences and the whole experience needs to be thought of and it's all hospitality. And, and you know, these guys who, these great bartenders and great chefs and restaurateurs, they want their guests to have a good time. If I mm. throw a party, I want my guests to have a great time. 
if I'm holding an event, I want my guests to have a great time. And, you know, the fastest way for someone not to have a good time is if they feel left out or forgotten or ignored. So it's quite, I mean, just listening to him and it's just, you're so passionate about it. And, you know, when you wake up in the morning, what sort of drives you? Is it your work? Is it the family? You know, how do you get that balance between the two? Like, obviously you've got so much to do (laughs) with the company and anyone who owns their own company you feel like that, don't you? There's always more to do. And how can I make this grow? How can I evolve it? How can I grow it? But also there's the balance within yourself. And so how are you, how do you sort of manage that stress, that business stress? Like, what do you do for yourself mentally? And mm. I've learned that, and it's, it's really simple and it sounds really obvious, but it's, it was a huge one to accept of like, the to-do list is never done, Right. And, and that's one, and there's always more that I can do. So once you, once I kind of accept it, I, I think before I kind of, you know, at the beginning I was in a race to kind of try and finish everything and almost sort of get to inbox zero and, and kind of, right, I've got nothing to do now. I've done, I've done it all. And actually accepting that there's always stuff to, to work on and there's the to-do list is never done. And therefore, I don't need to get stressed out by it. Just to kind of things will happen at their own pace has been a, a really good lesson of how I manage my time, how I manage the difference between the kind of short term, the medium term and the long term. And having an amazing team around me, uh, you know, that I've hopefully built really good capacity in that means more and more as the time has gone on. I'm doing more and more of what I should be good at and where I'm most mm. useful, which takes, I, this is just my own experience, but when I'm doing something that I'm good at and know how to do, it takes a lot less energy. So it's more fluid and I, and I enjoy it more and the output's better. When I'm doing things that I'm not as good at, and that I probably shouldn't be doing. They're hard, tiring, you know, and the output's not as good. So Mm. I kind of just try and make sure that I'm doing the thing. It it sounds really strange in that it's just like, do what you enjoy and do what you like doing. And you can't always do that in a business when you run it yourself. And I I know that because I, I made the bottles in my kitchen. I invoiced them, I labeled them, I packed them, I delivered them. I ran the whole company as a company of one to begin with. So I know all the functions and I know my hiring kind of process was I just hired for the roles that I was rubbish at. So if you know what you're good at and what you're not good at and can be really honest and and clear on that, that's your HR strategy right there. And then getting into nature is definitely, you know, I've got dogs and, you know, fields out the back. So walking and getting out into the natural world is to me the best medicine ever hands down beats i don't no apps nothing like that just get out outside and and fresh air and and moving has that always been a thing for you to be out in nature do you think yeah i mean i've had i mean i you know grew up on a farm and and 
playground was you know the outside and and you know school holidays was definitely you know out you go at nine o'clock in the morning i'll call you for lunch and that was you know and i'm 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 reliving a lot of that now with the children which is just is amazing but um i feel like i can 100 hand on heart say that i can provide an amazing life for these kids you know without doubt that from a kind of yeah, from a moral perspective, I fit that feels very grown up, adult and responsible to be like, I am able to be there for them, to show them the way and completely provide for them so that they have as little to worry about as possible. That's really beautiful. And I couldn't have done that when I was starting Seedlip or, or before that. I think we're really understanding how rich and important relationships are to our life because of what's going on I mean that's what I feel like you're describing to me through what you've done with Seedlit but also where you are now right now in this moment it's just being really appreciative of what you've built but also what you have personally in your own life you yeah know? because you don't I don't know I I'm suddenly very aware of you know home life because you're in it 24 hours a day and aware of the fact that, you know, friends and family are in their home life as well. And that everybody's going through this, on the one hand, incredibly connected experience because of technology and the way that we live our lives now. And then on the other hand, this incredibly kind of disconnected experience because we're not interacting with anybody. Video calls aside, like we're not actually physically engaging. No, we can't people. hug people. Can't hug anybody. Exactly. Can't hug, can't shake hands, can't, no. you know, all those kind of uh, gestures. You can't even stand close to anybody. So I have some deathy questions for you. Great. Um, and this is a question which, in a way, it's, it's saying on your deathbed, what might you, what would you not want to regret? I made a decision probably about 10 years ago that I would never waste any energy on regret. So I don't, it, to me, regret as an emotion is wasted energy because it's, there's nothing, there's no point of it. There's nothing I can do with it. There's nothing I can change about it. And it kind of just is also connected to expectations. And, you know, if you have high expectations, something you're going to be more disappointed if it doesn't happen. And I don't know, I, I just, so I kind of don't really believe in, in regrets and mm. try and live my life that way with that mentality. So that part, you know, a, a portion of that is because I don't want to get old and, wish that I'd done things differently or wish that I'd changed something or created something or whatever. So I, yeah, I kind of don't really do regrets. What would you have liked to have achieved with your personal relationships and how you live though with, you know, live within those relationships? I think, I think it's probably just the, um, you know, a simple one of like, is my conscience clean? You know, do I, have I 
yeah, have I lived, have I done my best and have I, as best as I could, done the right thing uh, for the right reasons? Um, so probably a, a bit of that. How would you like to be, and how would you like to be remembered after your death? The people that loved you, what would you like them to think of you? Probably that uh, I definitely, you know, gave my all in, put it, put my all into life. I definitely got the most out of life that I could. Um, that I always tried to do the right thing for the right reason. Um, that I was loyal. Uh, mm. That I cared and that I guess I had set a future up for my family and that, you know, with, with work and, and, you know, with Seedlip that regardless of what happens, I'd put a good thing out into the world. Yeah, probably that. That's a pretty big thing, isn't it? And it's a, I know it's an ongoing project, but it's, I think it's amazing. I think it's lovely that you've created something that people recognise and it's going to it's gonna be like Marmite in a few years, isn't it? Hopefully people go, oh, yeah, let's get a bottle of Seedlip. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's not even, it's not even, I, I kind of, I care more that everyone should have access to and the opportunity to have a great non-alcoholic option. I care about mm. that most um, mm. rather than, everybody should drink seed lip um yeah because I, I i that's the that's the bigger problem to solve that's the the bigger goal to achieve um because my part in that is flying the seed lip flag as a way mm. of hopefully kind of spreading that news and telling that story and in a way it comes back to um us being in lockdown where afterwards the sort of small things become really big things so for seedlip it's about not having that experience of feeling left out it's a small you know it's a small thing for someone but it's a massive thing to their well-being to feel it included in something to be part of an event to be part of what's going on socially mm. in interaction and relationships and it's it you know if you look at it from a psychological level it's massive yeah. so it's it's yeah. So it all ties it all ties into lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think it's really interesting what you're saying is that, you know, we're building, we're making these small, you know, hopefully after this there'll be small changes that will yep. create it's like a ripple effect, yes. right? Yes. And so I think with Seedlip it's the same thing what you're doing. It's it's building something that's gonna have this ripple effect. So it's not just gonna be Seedlip, it'll be other brands, but create a, a difference in how we think about drinking and alcohol and yeah. how we live but social interaction the importance of social interaction and how we interact within that mm. through our food through our drink everything it's so yeah, important yeah. no it's, so it's, important. it's entwined it's all how we socialize and how we communicate um you know food and drink are, are two of the most popular props within that um and it you know it's the it's, first thing everyone went crazy over as well yep, wasn't it yep. <laughs> that and loo roll <laughs> you know it's still with me 
Oh god, the goddamn! I don't understand the whole loo roll thing. It was so I, bizarre. I just, <laughs> the main symptom was diarrhea. I could get on board with you know <laughs> yeah. roll oh. kind of going nuts, but. Uh, it's like you're going to get a cough and a fever. Must get loo roll. <laughs> Toilet roll. Got to be top of the list. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> thank you so much. No, that was really, that. really wonderful talking to you. And I feel like we've covered so much ground, but yeah. I think the lockdown has given us so much to think about internally. Agree. Um, and we don't even know what that's going to be at the no, end of it, but no. hopefully some good stuff will come out of it. I'm sure. I'm sure good stuff will come. Yeah. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks for listening and please check out seedlipdrinks.com for more information. And don't forget, if you have time, I'd love it if you could review and subscribe to this podcast. It would really help other people to find it. 